The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. First and goal. Here's Wadley looking for a sport touchdown. He's in. Akram Wadley makes it 29 to 10. Iowa. And we've been calling Akram Wadley's name consistently. But he needs to give an assist, a big assist to his fullback, Adam Cox, making Pleva. Every single positive rushing play that Iowa's had in the second half has been preceded by a huge block by a fullback. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. This is our new Reporter's Notebook podcast, this week featuring Scott Docterman, who looks back at the Hawks' win over Northwestern and the bye week activities, and he previews this week's Maryland game. And you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's contest, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Maryland's interim head coach, Mike Loxley. This Hawkeye's Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which includes sports reporter Scott Docterman of the Gazette and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, plus our own Tyler Chumeland. Game highlights are courtesy of ABC ESPN2 with announcers Dave Pash and Brian Greasy. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeye's Mike programs are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years. The Iowa Hawkeyes return to Kinnick Stadium this weekend to host the Maryland Terrapins in a Big Ten contest. Iowa is 7-0, 3-0 in the Big Ten, Maryland 2-5, overall 0-3 in the conference play. Iowa is currently ranked 10th in the AP poll and 11th in the coaches. Kickoff is at 2.30 in Kinnick Stadium. TV this week, ABC, ESPN2, Mir, Adam Amin, and Kelly Sofer. Radio is always the Hawkeye Radio Network with Gary Dolphin and Ed Podolak. This game will also be available on satellite radio Sirius XM. This is only the second game in this series. Maryland leads one to nothing, and they're playing for the first time at Kinnick Stadium. Last year, the Terps beat the Hawks in College Park, Maryland, 38-31. Iowa is 7-0 for the first time since 2009, the second time under head coach Kirk Ferentz. They're trying to improve to 8-0 for just the second time in school history. The last time they did that was 2009 when they started out the season with nine straight wins. They're 3-0 in the Big Ten for the third time under Ferentz. They were 5-0 in 2009, 8-0 in 2002. Iowa is just one of two teams, the other being Alabama, in college football with two road wins over ranked opponents. The Hawks have beaten Wisconsin and Northwestern while on the road. It's the first time since 2002 that the Hawkeyes have done that when they knocked off ranked Penn State and Michigan. Iowa has played a tougher schedule than Baylor, TCU, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Clemson, Florida State, Michigan State, and more per Sagarin. So much for the national chatter that the Hawkeyes have a weak schedule. The teams Iowa has defeated this year have combined to win 59% of their games. This is the highest percentage of any undefeated team left in play. The most Iowa has trailed in a game this year, it's an interesting fact here, it's seven points twice at Iowa State. Iowa trailed by one point versus Illinois and three points at Wisconsin. 
Maryland's losses this year, and they have played an extremely difficult schedule, have come to Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, West Virginia, Bowling Green, the Terps wins, Richmond, and South Florida. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz is in his 17th year at Iowa, where his record is 122-85. and He's been a head coach for 20 years overall, and that record is 134-106. and Maryland's interim head coach, Mike Loxley, is 0-1 at Maryland, 2-27 overall, four years as a head coach. Iowa will face the second of what is now at least three Big Ten teams that have different head coaches since the start of the 2015 season. Maryland, Illinois, and Minnesota. In the Big Ten this week, apart from the Iowa-Maryland game, key games are Michigan at Minnesota, Rutgers at Wisconsin, Illinois at Penn State. There will be more shakeouts in both the East and West divisions in terms of the races to see who will get to play in the title game in Indianapolis. I pick the balls. Our equipment guys do a great job of breaking the balls. To me, they're perfect. I don't want anyone touching the balls after that. I don't want anyone rubbing them. To me, those balls are perfect. Breaking the balls, I choose the balls. I wouldn't want anyone touching those. I would zip those things up and lock them away. Mother Nature and with, with the balls. So whatever feels good that day. I'm not squeezing the balls. I'm not, you know, I don't, that's not part of my process. I, I grab it. I feel the lace. I feel the leather. Um, I feel the tack on the ball. Breaking our own balls. Breaking the balls for all the quarterbacks to have the ball in play. Some guys like them thin, some guys like them uh, tacky, some guys like them brand new, some guys like old balls. I mean, they're all different. Some guys like old balls, some guys like old balls. They also know that how I like the balls and I tell them how great they are before the game. This is a very serious, you know, topic. Let's hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First, Kirk Ferentz, who talks about the depth and play of his tight ends, which has been essential to this team's success so far. Yeah, a couple things there. First of all, uh, I think Jimmy Rossi really did a nice job, you know, jumping over this this August and, uh, you know, actually this summer making the transition and then, you know, playing when we needed him. So he did a really good job. Uh, you talk about George Kittle. George, I said, I think last spring was probably one of our most, if not our most improved player uh, on our football team. I thought he really, the light just came on for him during spring practice. We saw that and it continued through summer. So, uh, and part of that is blocking. You know, he uh, was not the biggest guy when he came here. He's kind of a tall linear player. He's worked hard in the weight room, really worked hard on all his skills. And sometimes for receiving type tight ends, blocking's not the, the favorite thing for him to do, but he, he's really uh, just attacked it aggressively. He's done a great job. And, you know, he's blocking Drew and, and uh, Nate during camp, uh, really in impressive fashion. Not not consistently, nobody really does, but, uh, you know, that was impressive to us. So what, what he's doing on the field right now hasn't come as a surprise so we're really pleased with him and then I think Jake's uh, I don't, don't want to say he's full speed right now but he's closer and uh, the guys that you mentioned Jake uh, George and then obviously Henry's done a nice job in the past game too so it just gives us a little bit more flexibility and uh, maybe just one more thing we can draw draw into offensively which is is always good because you never have enough uh, weapons. Ference was asked about the very good job his wide receivers are doing this season with respect to their line of scrimmage and downfield blocking. Not always but usually big play especially in the running game are a team effort uh, sometimes in the passing game it might just be a great throw and catch but uh, for the run to, to really consistently go and uh, for your yards per carry to be good usually it requires guys on the perimeter doing a good job and I think that's one of the areas we've really improved in uh, certainly we've talked about our perimeter play defensively being better and I think we've gotten better on the offensive side as well whether it's our receivers or even tight ends when they flex out and you know so they're doing a good job coming in at least making defensive backs aware of them and uh, knowing that 
they don't just have a free rein or free shot on the backs. So those are good things. And then the backs have been involved too and knowing how to set those blocks a little bit and read off of them, that type of thing. So it's it's all positive. And Kirk talks about the resiliency of this team, especially given the adversity of the multitude of injuries. I said after our last game, I think that's, that's one thing certainly you could say about the team is they're resilient. And the other thing I said is, you know, we're playing good team football. And I think that's part of team football is uh, it's not just offense, defense, special teams, but it's also where you, when you need something or you have an area of concern, you, know, you find a way to work around it. And I go back to 04 where we, we didn't have a running game, basically. Uh, our objective was not to go backwards when we ran it or fumble it, turn it over. And we were pretty successful at that, but we, we didn't go forward very uh, very far. But, you know, when that's the case, then, you know, what are you going to do to compensate for that? And, uh, you know, we did it on special teams. We did it on, on defense. And then we also did it throwing the ball, coming up with enough big plays. And then, you know, even our last regular season game, we ran the ball really successfully, especially in the fourth quarter that year. So, you know, it's just, but it's it's the team being sensitive, I think, to what's going on, being aware, and then realizing that, uh, you know, if, if something happens over here, somebody over here might have to step up and, and get the job done. And, you know, so far, at least we're seeing a lot of those cases. Hopefully that'll continue here the next, next five games. Next, we hear from Maryland interim head coach Mike Loxley, who talks about his starting quarterback, Perry Hills. I mean, I guess the big thing with Perry is, uh, and it's what won him the job the first time around, is just his grit, his, his leadership. Uh, he has the, the moxie you're looking for from the position. Obviously, we need to have him execute a little better uh, in the passing game and you know take better care of the football. But the, the thing that really stands out about him is the grit that he shows. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a kid that will leave it all on the field for you uh, and as I said as we continue to work with him and obviously we did we stabilized the position with him and we are, we're building it around what he does well trying to uh, emphasize his strengths and uh, he's made some plays for us but we've got to also make sure that he takes care of better care of the football and if we can get that done uh, Perry is a guy that we can win games with. Loxley was asked about the importance of his team's passing game as well as rushing in the matchup with Iowa's stout defense. You know I think with Perry the big thing that and, and who we are, you know, very rarely do you see us just drop back and throw the ball uh, from a drop back situation unless it's a throwing down. It's third down and we've got to try to get a first. What we've got to be able to do is hit the shot plays and I think what happened on Saturday, we were able to hit a couple of the shot plays. Uh, we hit Malcolm down the field. Uh, we hit Tavon on a shot, you know, so we were able to, to finally, off of the run game and the play action is where we've got to be really good and, and, and Perry hit some of those shots early in the game. Where we tend to get in trouble is when uh, we get behind the chains offensively on first down or second down and we're forced into third and long situations and that's where you know the development of Perry as a passer uh, starts with making good decisions seeing his safeties throwing the ball on time not holding on to the football and you know those are things that we, we've continued to work with him we'll continue to do it uh, in regards to Iowa and their uh, run defense you know we faced some pretty good run defenses the last two three weeks in Michigan Ohio State and then Penn State as well and you know what we do on offense uh, and what Perry's skill set brings to the table typically will allow us to be able to to run the football because now it forces the defense to have to play assignment sound football. It helps neutralize some of the the weaknesses we have from a size or strength standpoint inside and you know for us I do think the passing game is going to have to continue to come along because we need to have the balance uh, on offense and if you look at Iowa their team that's balanced on in the running passing game and we're going to need that if we want to win games down the road so we'll continue to develop our passing game we'll uh, continue to try to improve and uh, uh, you know get better at running the football more consistently and, and that's where I, I think you'll see us get better. And Loxley provides his assessment of this 
year's Iowa team. I mean, they're well coached. You know, Coach Ferentz does a good job of having those guys uh, very sound. You know, when you look at them, and I've had the fortune or misfortune uh, to, to play against Iowa during my Illinois days as well as at Florida. We played them in a the bowl game, so I've had a chance to see this team for a long time. Since 2003, I've seen them, and they haven't changed very much in who they are, their identity uh, on offense or defense and special teams, and they've always been really sound. Uh, they try not to do a lot in terms of they're not trying to trick you or mask it. They line up and they play good, hard-nosed, clean football in, in all three phases. They play with great effort and again, when you look at them this year, the thing that jumps out to me is the balance they have. Traditionally, when you face an Iowa team, you know you've got to stop the run first and foremost, which we'll have to do, but they're also throwing the ball with C.J. Beathard uh, pretty well and, and again, they're 200 yards rushing, 200 yards passing, somewhere in that area, and that balance is uh, what gives them some advantages and they're playing really well right now. So first and goal, Adam Cox, the backup fullback is in. The run behind him, Wadley is in. Touchdown, Iowa. That's the third today for Akram Wadley. This guy had eight carries on the season coming in. He's got three touchdowns this afternoon. One after makes it 23-10. to 10. Iowa behind Akram Wadley, a 13-point lead. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. Time now for our weekly Reporter's Notebook show this week with Scott Docterman. You can read Scott's articles in the Gazette and online at gazette.com and in his blog, Doc's Office. You can also follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Docterman. Scott looks back at the Northwestern game and Iowa's bye week activities, and he previews this Saturday's contest against the Maryland Terrapins. Scott, before we turn to the Maryland game, as usual, let's look back at the last win, a big, impressive win over Northwestern in Evanston 40-10. to The Hawkeyes overcoming a lot of injuries, but the bye week couldn't have come at a better time. That was as impressive of a win as I've seen in a long, long time from an Iowa football team. I mean, not only was the final outcome impressive against a pretty good team that was ranked 20th in the country at the time, but it was just the manner with which they had to do it. As you mentioned, uh, the, the injuries, I mean, they were significantly limited at just about every major position, yet here they were. They were able to uh, pound out a 24-0 advantage in the second half. I mean, it, at halftime, I kind of wondered if the game was slipping away from them because Northwestern had really captured the momentum. You know, after trailing 16-0, you know, scored 10 points, and it appeared to be everything kind of hanging on the balance for Iowa. But then you look at the way they pounded the football. I mean, 294 yards uh, running at will against the Wildcats. And I know the year before they beat Northwestern decisively as well, but this one was more impressive because I think Northwestern was better. It was on the road at a place that they notoriously struggled. And uh, you had all the other side highlights, you know, the, the 95 team there for uh, Northwestern, Gary Barnett, uh, all those side factors. And to me, I thought it was just, you know, you, you lose your starting running back and you plug in another guy who runs for 200 yards and they whipped him on the line of scrimmage. And that was about as picture-perfect of a performance as Iowa can have under Kirk Farron. The Hawkeyes continue to climb in the national polls. They've reached the top 10 now in the AP poll, 11th in the coaches. They'll likely be favored 
favored in the remaining regular season games, but at least two of those in particular could be very hotly contested. Maryland, on the other hand, they won seven games last year in their first season of the Big Ten. As a result of that, their head coach, Randy Edsel, got a contract extension. But then this year, they've really struggled in a three-week span. As I think you pointed out in one of your articles this week, they were outscored by nearly 100 points. Edsel was fired October 11th. Interim head coach Mike Loxley was named. He was their offensive coordinator. And they came off there by week last week against Penn State. A one-point loss, six lead changes, played much better. But they've really had a tough schedule. They have played Penn State, Ohio State. They have to play Wisconsin and Michigan State. They've played Michigan. And, of course, this week they play Iowa. Yeah, I couldn't set up any worse for Maryland. It's, it's kind of interesting, this uh, indoctrination to the new teams in the Big Ten. That uh, It's kind of, welcome to the Big Ten. We want you to play the toughest teams. And you look at Maryland, they're playing Iowa and Wisconsin as their crossovers, along with a tough Eastern Division slate. You look at Rutgers, they go to Nebraska and Wisconsin. Same, you know, same kind of deal. Really tough. Both of them made bowl games last year, which was impressive, but uh, that's not the kind of schedule which you can make a living. And, and with Maryland, it, it seems to be an interesting fall. I mean, last year, they went from beating Michigan, Penn State, and Iowa to go into the Foster Farms Bowl, getting an extension for their coach, and yet there just didn't seem to, there seemed to be almost a disconnect between Randy Edsel and the fan base and the donors and, and the administration because they lost an early game to Bowling Green, who's one of the best max schools, but they lost by three touchdowns, and that's hard. That's hardly palatable for teams. And then just the way they got dominated by West Virginia, Michigan, and Ohio State, it appeared like the, the season was kind of going out of control. So I don't know if that was a panic move, if there was really some discontent or what, but but really it, it was kind of odd, I thought, seeing a team fire a coach like that at, you know, at that juncture. I mean, usually you give a guy like that, who you just gave an extension to, the full season before you make a final call. But in this case, everything started to really pile up right before the Ohio State game. They were somewhat competitive in that game, and yet, you know, they fired him the next day. So, uh, what I saw out of Maryland on Saturday against Penn State was a motivated team. It's got a lot of talented players playing in what they perceive or what they want to be as a rivalry game. So, uh, six different lead changes, a lot of back and forth, you know, and, and, and a lot of things thrown at, <laughs> in both directions, but um, ultimately, you know, it didn't come out in Maryland's favor. And, you know, now I have a lot of questions for this team that I want to see, you know, answered on Saturday is, is this just a one-time deal or is it removing Randy Edsel kind of removing a barrier to their success? Uh, is this the type of team that can respond to adversity at a place like Iowa? I mean, certainly it will against a team like Penn State, which it perceives as a rival and wants to continue that as a rivalry, but Iowa's out in the middle of nowhere to them and they're coming out here to a top 10 team and if this team, if Iowa, say, gets the ball, runs down the field, scores, stops them on three and out, do they just kind of roll over or do they keep fighting back? Those are the questions you really can't answer until game time, but I'm really anxious to see. What a weird thing for Iowa this season. They're going to face three teams in the Big Ten that don't have the same head coaches that they started the season with. Maryland this week, Illinois earlier, and now after today's shock, Minnesota will have a new head coach or at least an interim head coach by the time Iowa faces them. That's I don't ever remember anything like that happening before. Yeah, I, neither have I. And, and the strange thing is, I mean, Iowa has four Big Ten games. Its first three are against interim head coaches, and its last one's against Purdue. And uh, I would say it's 50-50 whether Daryl Hazel makes it to that game or at least makes it, you know, uh, without it being announced at the end of the year or what have you. So um, it is, it's a strange scenario. All three are completely different, but, you know, so that's kind of coincidental 
coincidental, but but hey, you know, if you're Iowa, you're sometimes things like this could go work different ways. I mean, I think we saw in Illinois, and Kirk Ferentz pointed this out. Bill Cubitt's team was much better coached than Tim Beckman's was last year in Champaign. I mean, they've all Illinois's always had talent, but they seem to be able to put it together, and they had a really good performance against Iowa, despite Iowa winning 29-20. And then you look at, at what how Maryland played under Mike Loxley, who really flopped as a head coach at New Mexico. He was two and twenty-six, but they played hard. At times, they played well. They made a lot of mistakes against Penn State, but they showed that they're capable of competing at a, at a good level against good competition. And then, you know, with Minnesota, you know, that that's a different animal altogether because you're talking about a rivalry game where you're going to have a festive attitude and mood in Iowa City with the night game and the blackout. You know, after what happened last year in Minneapolis, so all the all these games are, are unique. But the situation that ties them together, as you mentioned at the top, there three interim coaches at all three at Kinnick Stadium. Uh, that's a situation that you, nobody would have expected. Well, let's dig in a bit here now. Let's look at Iowa's defense versus Maryland's offense, which is really in a different place than it was uh, after they returned their starting quarterback, Perry Hills, as the starter. But Iowa's defense, so many accolades so far and well-deserved for the rushing defense, which continues to excel for a combination of reasons. It's the only team in the FBS still to allow just one rushing touchdown. That came to Illinois. They give up just 74-point rushing yards per game, which is second in the Big Ten, third nationally. They've only given up 100 yards or more in just one game this season, and that was North Texas. Maryland, on the other hand, is third in the Big Ten in rushing offense, surprisingly, about 187 yards per game. They've had more than 240 yards rushing in their last two games against Ohio State and Penn State. That's pretty impressive, a 5.2-yard per carry average through seven games. Yeah, and Ohio State's the only team in the Big Ten to actually have a better run defense than, or at least run offense than Iowa. So, you know, I think going back when you look at, at Maryland, uh, they've got they've got some interesting statistics. As you mentioned, they're third in the Big Ten in rushing. Perry Hills as a quarterback doesn't look like either, you know, some incredible uh, dual threat quarterback like an Antoine Randall-L or even a, you know, a King Coulter. I mean, but, you know, he's kind of big, he's physical, he runs well, he gets open, and he figures out holes, he hits them. I mean, he's a running back playing quarterback, but he's also a decent quarterback. You know, but the thing with Maryland is they're so up and down. I mean, you know, they they average 5.2 yards a carry, almost 190 yards a game. But then in passing, they're 109th national. They're 13th over in the Big Ten. You know, what's really killing this team more than anything else is their turnovers. I mean, they're last in the Big Ten in turnover margin at minus 13. And you'd think for a team that runs the balls as well as it would, you know, it would have more than 17 first downs a game. That's last in the Big Ten. So um, I think the turnovers and the lack of sustaining drives is kind of killing them. And and then, as you mentioned, Iowa's run defense is so stout. You know, it's it's one of those where I don't know that Maryland really runs effectively against Iowa. So what are, are they going to rely on the pass? And if they do, are they going to press? Their pass efficiency, they're last in the Big Ten in that. So this is one of those games where, I mean, they're going to have to get out of their comfort zone to, to succeed. And, uh, you know, coming to Iowa City, that's not exactly a recipe that you'd like if you're Maryland. Now, you mentioned Perry Hills, their quarterback. He is Maryland's leading rusher over 103 yards per game, and he had 170 yards against Penn State last week. 
and yet he's going to come up against that Iowa rush defense as well as the play so far this year that's just been terrific and somewhat surprising of Iowa's linebackers. That's probably been the most encouraging unit on the team, I would say, for Iowa. Because we saw them last year, and they just they looked lost, they looked tentative, and you can never have that at, at linebacker. But uh, Josie Jewell is playing himself into one of Iowa's all-time greats. He's only a sophomore, but the way he's playing, he, he looks more like a veteran every week. And Ben Neiman may be the most unsung player on this, uh, and then the whole team for that matter. I mean, playing an outside linebacker, he's very athletic. He can do a lot of different things. He kind of reminds me a little bit of A.J. Eads. He's not there yet, but he looks like he looks the part. And uh, trying to run the ball on this team, I mean, they're so stout at the t- at the point of attack. I mean, Jaleel Johnson is is a terrific kind of nose tackle type who really commands blocks, get, fights them off sometimes, and gets uh, stops running the run at the before it gets to the line of scrimmage. And then I, th- I think the best part of this defense is the way they've stopped at the edge. They've been able to set it and swarm to the football, and, and that's something last year they really struggled at. They allowed a lot of open lanes. Everybody's playing their responsibilities, and that's shown in the, the way this run defense has worked. So right now I, I think that's probably a cause of concern, I would say, if you're Maryland. You know, is trying to find that lane. You could probably make it happen a few times, like Clayton Thorson did uh, in Iowa's last game against Northwest. But it's not something you can make a living on. I didn't even mention the third linebacker, Cole Fisher, who's the leading tackler on the team. And then Nate Meyer on the defensive line has 42 tackles, but six sacks. And then Parker Hesse subbing in now for the injured Drouot has been playing really well. They've had some uh, good stories on defense. I mean, Nate Meyer is a guy, he's a senior. He's just, he's one of those salty, tough guys. I mean, I had friends like that in high school that just nobody ever wanted to fight because you, you may be stronger and tougher than they are, but they're going to you know fight you to the end, and that's what Nate Meyer kind of reminds me of. And then Parker Hesse, you know, you know, I was having some luck here with high school quarterbacks converting to the line of scrimmage, and he's really been strong there. Um, you know, he's he's got a ways to go before he's Drew Ott, but I think he's got that starter kit there. Where you know, in a couple of years, we could be looking at him going, okay, um, you know, he's there. Um, you know, he's played really well, only as a freshman, and so I think he's got a lot of room to grow. Yeah, what's really impressive about him right now is that in, in limited action, he already has seven and a half tackles for loss and five sacks. That's pretty impressive. And then you have the nine interceptions for the Iowa defense, which is the best in the Big Ten. Two of those have been returned for touchdowns. And of course, a lot of the discussion, conversation, and focus is on Desmond King for a good reason. Six picks, leads the Big Ten second nationally. Desmond King is, is becoming one of the better all-around corners in the country. And, and it's not just, it, it's, you know, his interceptions are what everybody gravitates to, but his coverage has been top shelf. I mean, he's made a few mistakes this year, as what will happen to everybody, but for the most part, he's got lockdown coverage, he has a lot of breakups, and uh, and, and his tackling is superb. I mean, it's almost like a linebacker or a safety out there in the corner. You know, I, I think what we've seen is very few times have teams attacked him. I mean, I remember uh, Illinois, you know, with Wes Lunt, who has a you know really good arm for anybody in the, in the West Division, and yet he really... Uh, shied away from uh, Desmond King. And then, you know, Greg Maben's kind of been up and down, inconsistent, I think it's probably a good word, but he plays at a high level a lot of the time. So he's going to he's gonna give up some plays, but he's going to make a few here too. And then and then the safeties, you know, Miles Taylor seems to be getting better and better each week. He's a guy who everybody has kind of acknowledged as like a trained killer at strong safety. And then and Jordan Lomax, who I think is now on the lot, short, lot award shortlist, has uh, really 
solidify that secondary. He's a hard hitter, which is rare from coming from corner to safety, and uh, you know, just kind of exudes leadership. I think a lot of people will be shocked if Maryland's able to do in rushing what it did against Penn State. They also have a pretty decent running back and senior Brandon Ross. He's got a couple of hundred yard plus games this year and over 2,000 career yards rushing, but they, they have some interesting stories at wide receivers. They've got true freshman wide receivers, Avery Edwards and DJ Moore are tied for the team lead with two touchdown passes each, and Maryland, for the first time in its history, has four true freshmen who have scored at least one touchdown, and they have the only brothers in the FBS who are wide receivers on the same team, Laverne Jacobs and uh, Tavon Jacobs, who have combined for 442 yards and and three receiving touchdowns. Kind of an interesting little factoid there. Yeah, I guess uh, for trivia purposes, it's it's kind of nice there, but, you know, they, they lost a lot from last year. I mean, Stephon Diggs was, you know, we're seeing him make great catches right now for the Minnesota Vikings as a, a terrific wide receiver. They really miss him. And then, you know, but, you know, Brandon Ross, to your point, has been a really good career player. I mean, 2,000 yards, I mean, that would rank him really high at Iowa, you know, historically. And, and uh, you know, he's, you know, he's got good bursts. He's got good toughness, quick, you know, he's 5'10", five, 2'10". Five, I mean, that's that's a good combination to have. And, you know, and I, but the, really the guy you have to watch out for is Perry Hills. I mean, you know, he's a guy who's a state champion wrestler. I mean, you rarely get that at quarterback. That's something that, you know, Iowa fans will kind of perk up when they hear. And, and then the, the way they block for him and some of the runs that they make are uh, are almost traditional, you know, sweeps. You know, they, they pull their blockers and, and sometimes it's zone read, sometimes it's a straight sweep uh, with the quarterback. So they're semi-diverse, I mean, but, uh, you know, they're wide receivers to me. I mean, compared last year to this year, it's, it's really a, a, a drop down. I mean, they're all pretty young, but so maybe they've got room to improve. But as of right now, I mean, it's completely different than what we saw before. The other thing that's a bit of a surprise probably for most folks is that, okay, so you're Iowa, you survive Wisconsin's behemoth offensive line and think, boy, that's it for the season. And then all of a sudden you realize that Maryland's veteran offensive line, it's very veteran, it's the second heaviest in the Big Ten. They average nearly 308 pounds across the line. Yeah, that's something that, I mean, it's, it's a little bit unusual. You don't think of Maryland being that way, but that's the way Randy Edsel recruited them and wanted that bigger up front. And, you know, and I guess with, uh, you know, having somebody like Perry Hills, you kind of want to have that offensive line up front. But I, th- this isn't Wisconsin. Let's not give them that kind of credit. I mean, they're, they're pretty good. They're big, but, you know, they, they you know, the, probably the most impressive player is, you know, a, a five-star recruit, Damian Prince, and he may not even play. He's a freshman right tackle. So I would, I would say they're pretty good. They're capable, but that's not Wisconsin. That's not Wisconsin or Iowa, frankly, up front. Let's look at Iowa's offense versus Maryland's defense. While Maryland's offense has improved, Iowa's offense, a lot of superlatives here. A couple of interesting stats, really. The Hawkeyes average six yards on first down plays, 6.4 on second, 5.2 on third. 420 yards per game. It's it's the most since uh, 2005 and then again in 2002. They're second in the Big Ten in explosive plays, only one behind the leader there, Ohio State. They've got 12 plays of 40 yards or more. They only had 12 of those all last season. They are very explosive, and it's it's almost, it's really unusual to see, but really it shouldn't be. I mean, you got the trigger man back there who's got that kind of arm. It allows for bigger, better plays down the field. Now, some of those have been in the running game. You know, we saw the Jordan Canzari 75-yard run against uh, Illinois, but I think when you look at the trigger man, he's capable of hitting any receiver anywhere down the field, and he's thrown it what and seemingly been covered players, and yet here they are, boom. You know, I mean, you, you, you could go 
back through half a dozen plays just off the top of your head that he's been able to make them makes them more explosive. I mean, you know, the the 50-yard pass out of the end zone to Matt Vandenberg against Iowa State, or or the 70 or 80 or whatever yard pass it was against with Tavon Smith against North Texas, and he's just uh, you know Tavon or throwing it to Germanique Smith against Illinois, throwing him up for grabs across his body. You know, just you know the way he's able to do that um, is really taking a lot of pressure off the uh, off the running game, when, and it's reciprocal. I mean, as long as you can, if you can run the ball, then you're able to pass it. If you're able to pass it and pass it down the field, you're able to run it down the field. So it's been a, an interesting combination, one we have not seen, as you mentioned, for quite a while. But I think that's all encapsulated by what C.J. Beathard's able to do. Yeah, he's now 8-0 as Iowa's starting quarterback, and also somewhat hard to believe that's the first time in the history of the program that that's happened. Interesting stat coming out of Northwestern. Iowa had the ball, time of possession, 33 minutes, 14 seconds, is their average nationally, which is ninth best nationally. But they had had the ball 37 minutes, 22 seconds against Northwestern. It's the 10th best in the Ferentz era. And that's totally driven by what they're able to do running the football. I mean, as we saw in the second half, that was a, that was a steamroller. I mean, that was pure domination at the point of attack. And, uh, you know, pretty good offense or defensive line there from Northwestern. I mean, Dean Lowry was Big Ten Player of the Week, and he had one ta- this week against Nebraska. He had one tackle against Iowa, and a lot of times he was locked up with a tight end. Austin Blythe was an absolute machine. I mean, he may have been the best player on the field, and I know most people won't say that with the offensive linemen, but on every one of those four runs for, from Atkin Wadley that he scored on, he was able to dominate and decimate his opponent, and many times pancaking him. Uh, the way he moves in space, his angles, and the aggression with which he blocks is top shelf. And I would put Jordan Walsh right there with him, too. He's a little bit bigger than Austin, and when he comes around on a power, he not only stalemates whoever he meets, he usually pushes them back. So the offensive line is a real credit for them, and being able to, to uh, take the ball and drive it down the field on Northwestern is impressive enough, but to do it decisively over and over and over again, with I think it proves you know what Iowa is capable of doing on offense. Hawkeyes are second in the Big Ten in rushing offense, averaging almost 215 yards per game. A lot of uh, attention has been paid the last, especially since the Northwestern game, to the really solid play of Iowa's fullbacks and how crucial that is to success in Iowa's running game. And you can compare this year to last year when the fullbacks were pretty much decimated by injuries and, and weren't able to contribute like they are this season. Yeah, last year they'd have a third fullback in John Kenny, a converted linebacker who ended up leaving the program because he wasn't he was going to move back to linebacker and wasn't starting. So, you know, making Pleva and Adam Cox, if, you know, they stonewall the guys they hit. I mean, you know, a lot of times those linebackers, you're looking just for a stalemate, you know, at an ISO block. But they're able to not only do that, but just blow them up. And, you know, so they're basically like a, another uh, guard in the backfield, the way they've been playing. And, and you know, and then, and then let's not take anything away from the running backs themselves. I mean, I think Jordan Canzeri and Akram Wadley, certainly those two, have, you know, have such good vision and quickness into the hole that I think that's really enabled them to, to spot the holes when they're there. So, uh, and then move laterally if they need to and, and then accelerate to, to whatever the opening is. So, you know, the fullbacks have been critical and, and really, uh, you know, who would have thought that they were able with both their starting tackles out and yet have that kind of performance at Northwestern. It's, it's been pretty impressive. After this break, Scott continues his breakdown of the Iowa offense versus the Maryland defense. We talk special teams, and he gives us his keys and prediction.
Are you or your local Iowa company looking for a new roof or sheet metal work? TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal specializes in low slope commercial and industrial roofing and sheet metal. Building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years, TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, located in Ely, Iowa, just south of Cedar Rapids, provides strong, expert customer service and the best quality fit for you, their customer. For a free estimate, give TNK a call at 319-848-4191 or toll free at 1-800-383-7663. You can also visit their brand new website at tkroofing.com. TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, your home for all your low slope roofing systems. Give them a call today. Again, 319-848-4191 or toll free at 1-800-383-7663. <laughs> first time in Big Ten history and in, of course in Iowa history to have two different players rush for more than 200 yards in consecutive games in Wadley and Kanzeri. But Iowa also has three wide receivers this season with 100 plus receiving yards per game. Vandenberg, Devon Smith, Germanic Smith. First time since 1995. They've got some talent there and they're all equally different. I mean, you know, Devon Smith being out with a knee injury has forced uh, Germanic Smith to step up and he had a really big game against Illinois and that was, you know, something that, you know, Tavon Smith said on Tuesday, you know, he just said, wow, really, you know, he, he impressed me. He's, he's better than what I was. He thinks he's going to be a future star. He's got great speed and he's shown, you know, the ability to catch the ball, although he had one major drop that I think <laughs> he definitely wants back and will be reminded about until the next opportunity. But Tavon Smith is as good of a pure wide receiver Iowa's had in a long, long time. I mean, you know, you, you think back to a few that they've had that are really good in recent memory, you know, Daryl Johnson, Cooley or Marvin McNutt. Well, I think Tavon Smith's more of a pure wide receiver than they were. I mean, they were converted. He's got speed. He can catch the ball. He's got great hands. You know, he runs good routes. And he's got a rapport with the quarterback that really helps, too. And then and then Matt Vandenberg, you know, they call him the meerkat. I mean, he just gets open. I mean, he just finds an opening and he sit, you know, and is able to catch the ball. I mean, it's almost surprising at times to see his numbers because sometimes you just don't think, oh, did he do much out there? No, yeah, he caught seven passes. You know, and a lot of them for first down. So I, I think right now uh, what you're seeing out of these guys is just, uh, you know, a good relationship with the quarterback goes a long way and then, then they're getting open or getting thrown open, which has been really helpful. And you touched on it a couple of moments ago, but really impressive is is the level of play from the offensive line that there have been so many shuffles there due to the injuries. They still seem to perform at a high level in spite of that fact. And as the Hawkeyes begin to get the starters back, it certainly provides a lot more flexibility with interchanging these folks going forward. They're playing at such a high level. I mean, I, I you know, particularly in the in- interior, I don't think I can recall an interior part of the line playing as well as they are. Uh, you know, they've had great players on the edge, no doubt about it. Brandon Sheriff, Brand, uh, Brian Bulag, and Riley Reef, you know, Robert Gallery, and what have you, but interior, maybe since the O2 team. That's the only one that really, can meet, to me, match this. I mean, whether it's Austin Blythe, Jordan Walsh, I think you're seeing a true freshman and James Daniels really show that he is going to be an absolute star in the offensive line. Sean Welsh's versatility. I mean, this is a guy who wasn't available at all in spring practice. I mean, you kind of wondered whether he'd be there at all now, yet he was able to make fall camp a little undersized, certainly hasn't been training with the team, and then be able to move to right tackle and block the way he does. I mean, it kind of has a Marshall Yonda effect to it. And then and Cole Cross is their third tackle, and, and you know, he's a former walk-on. Granted, he's a legacy 
but he's still a walk-on. It took him a long time to gain enough weight to play out there, and, and he played excellent against uh, Northwest. Maryland's defense is 13th in the Big Ten in rushing defense, 175.6 yards per game. However, last week during that Penn State game, they blitzed repeatedly from all over the place. It generated four sacks. It completely shut down the Nittany Lions running game, but it also exposed their pass defense. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a kind of a boomer bust defensive effort. Um, you know, I think they were a little concerned with uh, Saquon Barkley and Penn State's running game, so they decided out of their kind of new look 4-3 to go ahead and just throw everybody out of seven guys at the line of scrimmage, and it's either going to be a run blitz or a pass blitz, but they're going to try to get through there and, and do it that way. And, you know, and Penn State only completed 13 passes, but it was for 315 yards. So they had a lot of openings down the field. What Iowa has to be concerned with is the health of their quarterback. You know, C.J. Beathard has been injured uh, at times, kind of, you know, certainly he was dinged up against Northwestern. I mean, almost surprising that he played. And, you know, he's not going to be 100%, probably not the whole year. So do you want to risk him to that kind of injury to get that kind of reward? And I don't know. I mean, to me, this this game is kind of tailor-made for Iowa to go with a three-tight end look like it has before and say, okay, you want to throw seven guys, eight guys at the line of scrimmage, we're going to line up our best seven or eight, and we're going to come at you in a phone booth, and I don't think you can stop it. That might be what I, I could perceive from Iowa a little bit on a probable rainy day on Saturday. So, But if they decide to play fake off of it, their openings will be there down the field. I mean, But but you do have to be concerned and cognizant of who they have in the secondary. I mean, William, William Likely, he's only 5'7", but you know, he picked off Jake Rudock last year and returned it, and that was kind of the biggest play of the game. Very, very quick. One of the great returners in the country. And, uh, you know, and they have other veterans in the secondary. I mean, they felt like this was one of the best secondaries in the country, and whether they, they've played that way is, is up for debate, but they do have good skill players who've been around. So if C.J. Butler gets the ball down the field and he's accurate, um, they should have pickup plays in a lot of chunks. However, you do have to be cognizant, again, of William Likely. He's one of the better players. Yeah, you mentioned Likely and their veteran secondary. In spite of that, though, and, and Likely led the Big Ten last year in picks, but they're last in interceptions this season. They are, however, a fourth in the Big Ten in sacks, and that's led by the number two sack player in the nation right now, their defensive end, Yannick Ngakwe. They're very uh, aggressive up front, and uh, a lot of that, and they were last year, too. I mean, they caused a lot of issues for Iowa in that game. Now, they're completely different. Last year, they were 3-4. They kind of blitzed off the edge, and, you know, just almost, a, you know, like the Steelers, uh, you know, baby Steelers type of approach. And this year, they're more traditional in the way they form, you know, but but they uh, but they like to throw a lot of guys at the, the line of scrimmage. At least that's what they showed against Penn State. They are different from what they were earlier in the year. I don't know if this was just a, a Penn State game plan or if this was a game plan that uh, they, they plan to entice going forward. But, um, yeah, you know, again, against, you know, now this week it looks like Boone Myers will be back at left tackle for Iowa after missing the first four games of Big Ten play. That's going to be, if he can get back to his previous form, that should be a good move for Iowa. If not, there's probably some concerns there, but I think uh, right now you definitely have to watch out for, now I, I'm struggling with the pronouncing his name, you, you know, Gawakowe. <laughs> I want to go with Gawakowe, <laughs> I there. think it is. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Nine sacks, that's that's pretty impressive. I spent a lot of time at the uh, Maryland Pronunciation Guide this week. <laughs> so. There you go. Uh, the other thing out of the Penn State game is they did have five fumbles against Penn State, and they recovered all five of those. And they're another one of their secondary players, Sean Davis, actually leads the nation with five forced fumbles. So, you know, that was the bugaboo with Akram Wadley. We'll see how that goes on Saturday. Let's look at the special teams just real quickly. Some interesting matchups here. Dylan Kidd, Iowa's punters, third in the Big Ten, maybe one of the most improved players on 
on the entire team, averaging nearly 45 yards per punt. And yet, here comes Will Likely, third in the Big Ten in kick return average, but leads the Big Ten in yards per punt return, averaging almost 20 yards of return and has two TDs off the punts. Yeah, he got those both in the same game where he broke Niall Kinnick's record. I mean, that's uh, that's something that, uh, you know, caught everybody's eye and attention over here. I mean, you're, you're, you break a 76-year-old record because he had 233 yards and two touchdowns against uh, against Richmond. I mean, he's a very quick player. I would categorize him in like a Devin Hester type of player, and, and that's tough to defend against. So, I mean, this, this is to me the biggest test that they face since the Nebraska game in, the, in special teams. You know, Dylan Kidd missed on a couple of punts. Uh, you know, he's supposed to get him out of bounds. He never did, and boom, you know, the uh, morning personnel brought it back. William Likely is, is more than capable of doing the same thing, uh, but I think that's, uh, so that to me is, is a big test for him. Now, you know, Brad Craddock, the kicker, is one of the better kickers in the Big Ten. I mean, last year he was first team all Big Ten. Uh, he's 8 of 10 on field goals, very consistent, got a good, strong leg, so you have to be careful there. And then with Iowa, I mean, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we're talking about Marshall Kane probably being a, you know, draft pick, but, uh, you know, repeated misses from short distances, whether they're three extra points or two point-blank field goals. I mean, I think there, it's a it's got to be now a concern. So, you know, whereas I thought maybe a few weeks ago that Iowa, if not, you know, at least having a, you know, a stalemate or, you know, now it's probably a disadvantage in this area just based on that alone. Desmond King, though, terrific so far, both punt returns, kick returns. He, in fact, is better than likely on yards per kick return at 22.5, and he's averaging nearly 16 yards per punt return. Yeah, and, and the kick returns are, are kind of odd numbers because, you know, they don't, they usually don't go very far. But, but, you know, the punt return has, has been a big plus for Iowa this year. They haven't really done that in the past. I mean, rarely have they made big plays over the course of several years. I mean, Micah Hyde, one of the better punt returners in the NFL, was at Iowa and basically fair caught everything. So that's kind of a change, but I think it shows you what the faith they have in Desmond King. And I just I expect him to break one one of these days. And, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, and he, he was part of the reason why they beat, uh, you know, both Pittsburgh and uh, Iowa State early in the season. But, based on his return skills. So uh, he's certainly a weapon in that regard. Kind of kind of like likely he's a different player. He's not nearly as quick, but he, but he is quick, and he's stronger, and he's got great balance. And then, of course, he, he's got a lot of speed. So um, I expect him to break one for a touchdown one of these days. I'm not sure it's going to be Saturday, but I think it'll be uh, fairly soon. Your keys, prediction? I think right now for Iowa, it's about uh, limiting Maryland's pass rush. If, if Iowa can, can keep C.J. Beathard upright, I think Iowa... Iowa uh, has a clear advantage on offense, especially against a team that struggles stopping the run. And then on uh, on defense, I think it's it's about containing Perry Hills. I mean, he's it's strange to think of a quarterback like him to actually be able to kind of scare you because he doesn't have that imposing look to him. You know, he's not an Antoine Randall fast guy, but but he runs the ball effectively, he finds openings, and a lot of times he's he's uh, very capable of getting first downs. But I, I think this is game is set up for. Iowa. I mean, they're now in the top 10 and by AP. I think there's just going to be too much there for them. I like Iowa to win decisively, and I, I'm going to put it at 34-13, to 13, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's beyond that. His personality is so magnetic, he is unable to carry credit cards. Even his enemies list him as their emergency contact number. He never says something tastes like chicken. Not even chicken. 
Iowa will go 7-0 for the first time since 2009 when the Hawkeyes started 9-0 and ended up winning 11 games, including the Orange Bowl. It was a six-point game at halftime, but Iowa outscores Northwestern 24-0 in the second half. 40-10 is the final score. Hawkeyes head into a bye, hope to get Bethard and some running backs healthy for the stretch run in Big Ten Conference play. They're atop the West and in command after a 40-10 win over Northwestern. Just a reminder, you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawkeyes. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. And you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, and Facebook. Also be sure to check out all of the Hawkeyes stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette and the Quad City Times. Our thanks again to ABC ESPN2 for the game highlights this week, and thanks as always to Scott Docterman. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you will subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.